Hello everyone and welcome to the Writer's Circle podcast. I'm your host Alicia Targa and today we have an incredibly special guest joining us in the circle. Now we all know dressage is not just a sport but an art form that requires precision, finesse and attention to detail. So today I've brought in a very special guest that will be sharing with you some valuable tips and tricks on how you can boost your marks in the dressage arena. Now our guest is not just an experienced A-level dressage judge, a former Grand Prix dressage rider and a breeder of dressage horses. But here's the extraordinary part. She also happens to be my incredible mum. So please give a very warm welcome to my mum, Robin Targa. Welcome, mum. Hi. (laughs) Welcome to the circle. Thank you. (laughs) I convinced mum to come onto the podcast this week. Um, because I think there's been a lot of talk about judging lately and also coming into our new season competitions. I thought it was a perfect opportunity to get a judge on board for for some comments and some tips and tricks. Do you think that's a good idea, Mum? Definitely. There's always room for improvement, so any help always really well received. Quickly, tell me why you decided to become a judge in the first place. I decided to become a judge because I wanted to give back to the industry and it gets to a stage when and if you can't ride, that you could still judge. So that's why I decided to um, become a judge. And do you, I know I asked Ali this question as well, but do you think being a a rider helped you become a better judge and vice versa? Definitely. Definitely helps you ride or think about riding your figures better and what the judge is thinking about. Um, You just sort of, you have both ears um, and eyes in your mind as you ride. Very good. Pretty much the answer Ali gave. So anyone who's a rider thinking about judging, and a judge, you know, vice versa. It's obviously a good thing to um, be able to see both sides of the equation, the writing and the outside perspective going in. And even scribing. Scribing you can learn lots and improve the way you ride tests um, because you're sitting with a judge. And hearing their comments and seeing things that they pick up on that you might not be able to pick up on yourself. Definitely. I think it's, I always find it fascinating when I scribe at events and listen to the judges and what they're, you know, what they might see that you don't think of when you're writing. So definitely think scribing is also an excellent opportunity for further education. Yes, definitely. I guess going into a competition season, we're at home, we're training our horses, uh, we take our horses out and we get into the competition arena. What is your like number one ick that you see riders doing in a dressage test, do you think? I 
loathe people that put corners in serpentines. Um, inaccurate diagonals, so not going to the markers and not doing changes, you know, or if you're doing, you know, flying changes, doing them at markers. So just generally not preparing and not being precise. Yeah, so obviously accurate accurate riding is going to um, not give you more marks, but it's definitely going to um, slow the potential down of losing marks, would you say? Correct, correct. So they're your icks, mum, but what are some common faults that you see in the dressage arena? Like what are some common mistakes that people make when they go out to compete? A lot of common faults are people that want to, I mean, they. I know that they want to ride up and do higher levels, but they're, they're not actually ready because they don't understand the movements. So you get people that are going up to, say, elementary and they have to ride Trevea and they've got no idea of how to position the horse correctly for the movement. Or you have people that will go up to, say, medium because their horse can do a flying change, but it's not really ready. It's, it hasn't achieved the strength and the ability to stay in collection to perform the rest of the movement. So, I mean, I think it's just riding to the level that you can achieve without, um, you know, not just just being there because you're there and you, you can have a go, but being there to, to um, show that you're training at that level and that you can um, compete it, if not fairly well, at least successfully, um, to be, you know, confident in what you're doing. Yeah, and I think that takes us back to um, knowing the theory of dressage and why we perform different movements and how there's a correlation between one level and another. So what you might do in novice is preparing you for what the next movements are in elementary and then movements in elementary preparing us for what might be coming in medium. Yeah, it's a building block. It's a progression. So and where, every... I'm, where do riders go if they don't have a coach? Where, what's a good resource for riders to go to to find out what a Traveri is or what an elementary, well, you know, what the movements are in elementary? There's so many online things now that it's not funny that you, it shows you the positioning and where you should be and how many tracks your horse should be on and how it should be bent. And practically, like in a hands-on-hand, protocol days. Go to protocol days. You ride your test and then the judge says, well, hey, you know, if you positioned your horse this way, maybe, you know, more correctly, you'll get a better mark. Um, it, it's not actually probably because they're not actually allowed to teach you in a protocol day, but they can tell you where you're making mistakes so that you can improve your marks. Yeah, or where, um, yeah, where you're losing marks, so you may not necessarily need to lose them, where some easy marks are that you can get, you know. I think writing a good, accurate dressage test is 
about not throwing away marks um, just as much as it is where to gain marks. Would you agree? Yes. And also, I mean, if you write an accurate test, it gives a better um, perception to the judge. The judge thinks, well, this person knows what they're doing. You know, they may not have the well-beating horse, but at least they're riding accurately. So they're not actually throwing away marks. Um, they may not get the eights, but they could be still sitting on sevens all the way through, which is a 70% test. Yeah. And I think, too, that there's a resource that I that comes to mind that I think a lot of writers overlook, and that's our national rule book. And in our rule book, it actually explains what the movements are, what the purpose of each pace is. And there's a lot of information in our national rule book that actually explains a lot about how to ride your dressage tests and what the movements are. And I know that there's another, I think the judge is called the Bible. Yeah, yeah that's the FBI Bible. handbook, which has been done by Stephen Clark, and it gives a description movement by movement and what you would expect to see for each mark. So, so it goes from naught yeah. through to 10, and then it will say, you know, for a five, the horse would be doing this, 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 and this. For a six, it would be doing this. Um, and it goes through all the different movements for every level even young horses, and it tells you what you should be, you would expect to see. Yeah. So I guess once we've gone in and we we know our test and we're riding an accurate test because we know where we're going and we know the movements we're supposed to be performing. So I guess going through the training scale, I know the judging criteria is, you know, going through the training scale. Yep. How would you assess the horse's impulsion and engagement in a dressage test? And I know well, that's a word that gets thrown around a lot is needs more impulsion. Impulsion. It depends a bit on the level of the test. So um, at a lower level, you um, you aren't looking um, as much... You're looking for something free and easy and loose and elastic, surely, but something that's regular. I mean, rhythm is, is number one in the training scale. So you've got to have a regular rhythm in all three paces, um, which is really, really important. Um, but impulsion, you've got to think, isn't necessarily speed. It's the activity of the hind leg. So when someone says maybe you need more impulsion, it doesn't mean you have to put the pedal to the metal and go, go, go. It just means you've got to have a more active hind leg and you've got to feel like the horse is in front of you and maybe you're doing half holds to, you know, bring it back onto the, heart, onto the hind leg a bit more without it um, taking over. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that comes from then into the rider's training where they're, creating more engagement through transitions, through coming back, going forward, any of those exercises where the horse needs to sit and wait and then push forward? Yes, and, and you've got to think 
engagement also is different through the levels but what you want to see is a horse stepping we call it under the center of gravity so as the hind leg comes through it should step through under where you're sitting so if it's doing that then we know that the horse is engaged whereas if the horse is stepping short and only stepping up as high as far as its flanks or you know just just at that the um, underside of the belly then it's not really carrying weight behind and not then it doesn't have the ability to push and take more weight and show more adjustability within pace or you know be able to form that some of the higher movements you know that require more engagement and sitting of the hind leg You definitely notice at the lower levels with the horses falling in on the on the you know the, the corners of the short sides. So a lot of riders, especially more amateurs, tend to sort of cut the corner and hope hope the horse does a transition to canter if that's where it's got to be, or they travel down the side. But I mean, it's it's. It's a bit it's a bit horse dependent. It depends a bit on the horse's education and also the rider's education, whether they know how to balance the horse. And we were always told, even riding ages and ages ago, that you need to use your corners to set up your movements. So your corner is your collecting a collecting tool to set up the movements that are going to come up. You know, in on the either on the diagonal or down the next long side, or if, whether it be a circle. Whereas a lot of people just sort of hope for the best and just sort of guide the horse around or let the horse just fall in. So they've lost the ability to set the horse up for a movement, which is a real shame. So the short right, sides, <laughs> yeah, the short sides, the short sides and the corners are your friends. So you've got to use them. Yeah, absolutely. I think I can't remember who said it, but I remember a, a European trainer coming over many years ago and Morris, Morris Bruce was telling me when I was a young rider working at Neversfeld that the, the coach had said, I don't know why Australians have corners on the arenas because not one of them has used it yet. <laughs> yeah, and I mean... The cor your corners vary in, in the degree you actually ride the corner on the level. So, I mean, at, at, at prelim and stuff, it should be the arc of a 10-metre circle. And as you get up the grades, you go into the corner more and use it. But you don't sort of cut across from A or C direct to, um, you know, HM or K and yeah. F. Yeah, or even past it, which is some do. They just and then you've lost your line totally. So yeah, you, yeah I think the you, rule you of thumb. Come. Yeah, I think the rule of thumb that I always use by is the smaller circle that you do in the test is the size of the corner. arc of the corner that you should yeah. do. And yeah. so at the lower levels, your biggest, your smaller circles are twenty meter circles. So you don't have to go that deep into your corners. And then no. novice level is a 15-metre circle. So you're going a little bit further into the corners. And then in elementary, you have 10-metre circles. So you're going a little bit further into the corners. And then you go up to advanced, so you're doing voltaires, which are 8-metre circles. So you're pretty deep into the corners by then. And yeah. as you said, if, you know, if you're not riding the corner, then you can't start your movement at that corner marker, whether it's 
F-K-H or M, you can't start a half pass at M if you've cut your corner. You can't start your shoulder in, at, you know, coming down the long side at F if, if you've lost your corner and you haven't got that set up at F. So I think that's an important point to make that your corners are where you're setting your horse up for that movement. And also I find with my coaching that a lot of riders go into the sort of get buried into the second corner. They come through the first corner, they trot across the short side or canter across, and then they're going into the second corner and the horse sort of dives in around the corner. So the horses are on the shoulders coming around to that first marker, getting ready for the, for the movement that's coming up. So I think riding your corners and thinking uphill through the corners, keeping your horse's shoulders up off the, you know, off the ground there is setting your horse up for that movement. So I think that's a really good a tip bit there that your corners on the arena are really important to, you know, maintain the accuracy and the balance of the horse. You need to be thinking as you are riding a movement, you should be preparing and thinking of what your next movement is. So a lot of people sort of, they don't prepare the horse, they just sort of hope for the best and they go, oh, gee, we're supposed to be doing a circle here or, oh, this is supposed to be length and trot or medium trot. They don't have in their mind what they should be doing for the next movement so the horse isn't prepared. So that's another thing I think that as, you know, as the people starting off is to be aware and know your test well enough that you know what the movement coming up is, not when you're actually into doing it. Already there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So as you're going across a diagonal, you should be thinking, okay, I'm coming up, I should be half-bolting, getting the horse more under and getting ready to turn the corner to do my 10-metre circle at, at A or C, you know, just stuff like that so that it's not a surprise to the horse when something happens. Yeah. Well, that's it. Uh, preparation is key. I always say, you know, you've got to follow the steps of baking a cake before you put it in the oven. Otherwise, your cake's going to flop. And yep. it's the same with the horse. If you don't prepare the horse before the movement, it's just going to turn into a flop. Yes. <laughs> How do we know what level we should be competing at? Like at what stage do we say, hey, let's go up a level or we should stay at this level a little bit longer until we get a little bit more strength and experience before we go up a level? Well, I was, I was always told you should, you should compete a level below what you are training. Yeah. So you should be trying – well, so if you are competing prelim, you should be training novice. And if you're competing novice, you should be training prelim so that when you go out and do a test, the horse should know all that sort of stuff and be almost ready to do the next level. Whereas yes. if you're training at that level, it's a bit hit and miss whether you're going to achieve it. Yes. Yes. And I think, too, training the level above is preparing your horse better for the level that you're competing at. If you're training the harder movements and you're coming back to slightly easier movements, the horse should find them quite easy. Easier, yeah. So I think, yes, that's a that's a good little tidbit there as well. Anything else in riding dressage tests that you really see out there that riders are making simple things 
simple errors or faults within their dressage tests that are, you know, really making them lose their marks where they don't necessarily need to? Um, there's a couple of tests at the lower levels that, um, because a lot of the time you might do a half 10 metre circle at E or B and then you, you, you come up to X and then you come up the centre line. But there are a few tests that actually say turn left and at X turn left and then at G halt. But you get people that still do half circles. So yes. I would say learn your test and know what you're supposed to be doing and where you're supposed to be going because there's a big difference between a turn and a circle in what we are looking for in the horse. Yeah. So you're really not completing the proper movement, so you're throwing away marks. Um, and different things like um, rising trot when you should be sitting or maybe you have a green horse and you go sitting trot where if you rose in the prelim or the novice, the horse would actually go better. So think about ways you can enhance your horse and um, give a better impression, um, especially when you first enter. So first impressions? Uh, first impressions are, are really, really important. So once that bell has rung, don't sort of fiddle around and, and do you're supposed to come in at the mo you know, at the quickest possible way. So you don't do a full lap. Once the bell's rung, you've got, you know, a limited amount of time to actually enter the arena. But first impressions trotting up that center line. So the sea judge can't really see um, how round your horse is, they can see straightness. So trot, trot up in a straight line. And if you're prelim and you're allowed to walk into the hole, do it if you can get a better hole. But if you can do a crisper transition, you might get brownie points. So, you know, just think about whatever it is that you can do to enhance your horse. Um, and, you know, we're, we're not there to to criticise, we're, we're there to try and, you know, help you um, see where maybe you can improve your test. We're not there to give a lesson, but we can tell you that maybe you needed better positioning or you might need more impulsion or your horse needs to be more supple or more engaged, which are all things that you need to either take back to your coach or you need to get someone, you know, a friend or even, you know, someone else you ride with to be the eyes on the ground to, to tell you how, you know, you can achieve these. Yeah, and I think that, you know, that that first simple centre line, it's very hard to get a good mark. And I think that's one of the, you know, movements that a lot of people overlook when they're training. Not many people train those halts on the centre line. And that, that one movement, the trot or canter down the centre line, halt, trot on, is worth just as many marks as some of the other movements that we train over and over and over and over and over again. And, and, I think and, yeah, and transitions. Transitions are really, really important. And sometimes they're double coefficient. So, yes. you know, you can, have a, you can have a movement like in canter or trot and you'll have a transition mark. Make sure you show it. Yes, and especially in the length and trot and length and canters sometimes in the elementary 
um, and mediums. I know that there's definitely transition marks. So what in that perspective, when you're doing a medium trot across the diagonal and it's got a transition mark, what are you looking for at the start and the end to show a good transition? Well, you're looking at a, a, de a defined or a crisp transition. So you want to see a start and you want to see a finish. And at the start, you want to see the horse want to push off and come from behind with powerful energy. But at the end, you want to see them engage and still stay in rhythm. So it, your lengthened um, trot or your lengthened canter and so, so forth, doesn't mean that you're going with a hurried pace. It just means you keep the rhythm and the horse has to cover more ground. The yeah. frame's got to be slightly more open because the horse has to be able to stretch forward towards its nose. So you've got to um, be able to show clear transitions to be able to get the brownie points. Sometimes you can have a mediocre um medium or lengthening or whatever you're doing but if you show clearer transitions you might even get a better mark for your transitions than you actually do for the movement yeah because you've showed a transition because you've showed a transition yep yeah and i think that's you know that's important that you know going back to knowing your test knowing there's an extra mark there for your transitions there are bonus per se marks to be you know gained there if you do show a good transition so again it comes back to knowing your test and riding accurately and showing your horse in its best possible light to the judge um in those those areas yeah because you can have there's plenty of people that have ha that will ride a really good diagonal line with you know good good power from behind but then they just keep going around the corner. <laughs> and you say, well, hey, where was the transition? Yeah. And, and so they might get a seven or something for their, their or even an eight, and then they'll come down to a five and you say, well, you didn't show one. Yeah. <laughs> and, again, you're just throwing marks away if you don't yes. show the transition. That's an easy, you know, mark pick up there. I know as a rider, it can be really frustrating when we get the scores and we see that there's a bunch of horses on very similar tight scores when they're totally different, they have totally different strengths and weaknesses. How does that happen? Horses can be on the same mark for different reasons. So yes. you can have a really expressive horse, but maybe it does something naughty and that'll bring it back from an eight to a six. But then you can have the average horse that just goes around, it's nothing special, but it just does it, and it sits on a six too. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's there's so many different ways to achieve the same mark. Yes, yes. And I think people, um, you know, as you said, there could be, not very flashy horses that are sitting on a six, five, and a seven the whole way through their test. Yeah, and then you'll get a, and then you'll get a really flashy horse that is doing eights and nines, and then does something naughty and does a four. Yes, and so they they'll end up roughly on the same mark. Same mark, 
Yes. Mm. So that's, you know, a good lesson to, to people that even if you don't have the flashiest horse in the world, you can still get good marks if you do a nice, clean, accurate test. Yes, if you're consistent and you've got a fluent or flowing test, there's no reason that you can't get 70%. Yes, well, 70 is what's fairly good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's only fairly good. There's still another 30%. <laughs> we have this massive problem now in Australia where we're losing judges, not gaining enough judges, and I think... You know, the there is a, a sort of an ageing population of judges, come, you know, coming um, into the next few years. And for anyone that wants to, or even anyone who didn't even think they wanted to be a judge, what would you recommend, how would you recommend people start the process of becoming a dressage judge? Um, well, we have a few different coordinators. I think... Um... Nell Marshman is now the regional regional coordinator. Um, Julie Jones in Sydney is the New South Wales coordinator. Um, but just get if you if you're interested, just make inquiries when you're actually at a comp or you know somewhere there and say, look, I'd be really interested in doing this. You know, can you point me in the direction or can you give me some information so the judges there could help you? But there is a big um, seminar happening on the 10th of February. So it's for all levels. I think they're doing A through to C, oh, sorry, from F through to C or G through to C. Um, and it's in, some, somewhere in, where you do the Zoom during the week and then the practical is on the Saturday at SIAD. Yes. Yeah, so this is in New South Wales for our yes. New South Wales listeners. Yes. So each and, state has their own coordinators. Yeah, so you just need to reach out to your state's coordinators. And is it a big, scary process? How did you find the process of becoming well, a judge? Well, I, I was lucky enough because I had written Grand, written Grand Prix, I was able to go through in what they call the fast track. So instead of starting at the bottom level, I came through as a C-level judge. So I started at C and then worked my way up from there. Um, so that is something that you can do if you have written at FEI level, um, depending on what level you've written. If it's small to, I think you have to start at D. Um, but if you've done Grand Prix, you can start up at C, but you still have to pass the test, the C-level tests, et cetera, to get through and all the practical. Um, but there's a lot, it has changed a lot since I first went through. I think there is a, a little bit more involved and because they're trying to make judges more accountable and make everything a little bit more fluent and um, transparent if you, so that we're all on the same page. Yes, because at the end of the day, it's your opinion and we hope that everyone has the same sort of opinions on the same horses from their learning and the workshops that they've been to that, you know, even though you might have a certain opinion on a certain style of horse that you actually have to go in with a you know blank mind and go through the training scale and go through the training that you learned as a judge to actually judge that horse appropriately yes 
you can't say, oh, I don't like that horse, so I'm just going to judge it low. <laughs> no, you can't. You, you've, got to, you've got to judge what you see. You can't be, um, you've got to be impartial, so you've got to be fair to everyone. Um, if everyone's paid the same amount of money, they pay, you know, they pay for their coaches, they pay for their training. So you've got to give them um, your the best um, evaluation that you can of what they've done in front of you on the day. Yes, and I think, you know, people forget that one. You know, we go to competitions, they think, oh, you know, this judge doesn't like me or that judge, you know, there's a... A perception and I think, you know, we ha- we as riders have to, you know, be be a bit more um, aware that, you know, the judges are doing the best they can in the time that they're given in that dressage test as well and they can't see everything all the time, although they might want to, and they have a limited time to make a decision on things because the next movement is already upon them when they're thinking of that movement just being. Yes, yes. You can't be thinking back. You've got to be on the ball totally and you've got to know your test. You've got to be able to um, spit out marks and comments really quickly and just hope this ride gets it down. So you've also got to remember sometimes that the nice ride isn't as quick as the judge at getting comments down and may not necessarily get them in the correct columns, but they're also doing the best that they can. So... (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a um, just be aware before criticising that, you know, things don't always go to plan, but everyone does the best that they can. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the where the sport is at the moment, everyone just needs to be, you know, very grateful that we can enjoy our horses every day and that we can go to competitions and that we have this, you know, amazing community around us that um you know we're all there to do the best we can doesn't matter if you're a judge a steward a coach a rider an owner a supporter anyone like we're all just there trying to you know enjoy the sport and enjoy the horses particularly like that's what we're there for and if we've got a problem with one of our tests what's you know what's the process of approaching a judge to question you know something that might um you know have come up in your test that you thought was a bit funny or didn't you know doesn't add up so I would always say if you've got some sort of discrepancy and you don't agree with how you've been marked so to rectify you can't change the mark okay but what you can do is find out why And then the easiest way is if you've got a video especially, you can approach the organising committee and say, if possible, could you please speak to your judge Um, and just to ask them about, you know, whatever it was in your test that you were uncertain about or you, you know, thought that you'd been harshly marked, et cetera, et cetera. because what it can do, it can, it can make the judge think, oh, maybe I was a bit hard, or it can make you say, well, hang on, the judge was right. You know, the horse did do this. It cha- maybe it changed behind in a pirouette. I didn't see it on the video, you know, quite. I didn't feel it, but, you know, I could see it here. Or maybe the horse was really crooked 
Um, you know, in the shoulder in, it was on four tracks, not three tracks. So it was a leg yield, not a shoulder in. So, but ask the judge. So if you've got a video, it's the easiest way to um, get both sides. So you can say, well, look, here's my video. Just checking why did you give this horse this mark? And then the judge might say, well, hang on, I saw the tongue. And yeah. Oh, you know, there's there's reasons. So you've got to have both. You can have both sides of the story, but it can be only beneficial to you as a rider to approach a judge. But you have to do it correctly by by getting the OC or the organising committee to approach the judge and and tee up a time where you can have you know a space somewhere where you won't be interrupted or you're not in front of other people who can you know have the ears out listening to what you're saying. So it's better to be in a quiet place. Yeah, and I've done that personally myself quite often at competitions. If I've, you know, wondered why I've got a certain mark or I've seen something that, you know, is a little bit askew in my comments or something, yeah, definitely, you know, writers don't be afraid to ask the question because if you don't ask the question, you'll never get an answer and you won't you know, you'll go away questioning rather than just trying to, you know, face face the question. So as, as mum said, there's a process. You don't go directly to the judge. You go to the organised committee and say, hey, can I please set up a meeting with this judge um, for this particular test? And then the OC will speak to the judge and set up a time with you. And then you can bring your test sheet, your video and sit down with the judge and, you know, ask the questions. And I think as mum said, it might, you know, it's an education for both sides for the judge to have a look and say, oh, okay, I might have, you know, been a bit rough here or, okay, I, you know, saw that differently to how you may have felt it or something. And it's a learning for the rider as well in that they're seeing, okay, well, I thought it was a really good extended canner and it really, I really went for it but I didn't notice how crooked I was. And, you know, the judge can say, okay, well, you know, I only gave you a six because you were so crooked and, you know, things like that. So I think that's, you know, don't be afraid. It doesn't matter if it's a local competition or a national competition. I've done, you know, multiple meetings with multiple judges um, at all levels of competition and it's all valuable information um, at the end of the day that you can take home and, you know, evaluate your test um, coming, you know, after you've spoken to the judge and got your comments back. So I think that's a, a thing that riders should take advantage of more often, definitely. Yeah. And also, um, you know, you said that there's judges seminars and things coming up. Are they open to everyone or are they just yes, judging? They're open, they're open to riders, coaches and judges. So, so yep. The, uh, the more people that go, the better. And I think the more education they get, the better. Yeah, I think any any education's great and it's also a good refresher for those, you know, maybe um, not thinking about coming becoming a judge, but as a writer seeing, you know, the judge's perspective on things or what they're actually looking for in certain movements, at certain age groups of horses, at certain levels of horses. Um, you know, and how they progress, how the progression of collection and impulsion and engagement, you know, goes through the levels, what the difference between a prelim horse and, a, you know, advanced level horse is. 
Yep. So is there any like final little tidbit or words of wisdom that you want to throw out there before we get into our competition season? If when you ride in the arena, don't look like that you're on death's door and that it's the hardest thing you've ever done. Smile, <laughs> enjoy it. And, and, and even sometimes don't treat it like a training. Don't be like, you know, it's not the be all and end all. Go out there and have fun and put a smile yeah, on your face. Yeah, exactly. Don't grimace as you ride past. <laughs> and that's what they're there for, isn't it? Aren't we there because it's fun? <laughs> well, hopefully. I have um, a friend who loves the saying, tits and teeth. Oh, dear. <laughs> Smile and have your shoulders back. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Well, we'll go next time you see Robin Tiger at the end of the arena. Remember that you're not smile. supposed to look like you're having a terrible time. You need to smile and be pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, thank you very much mum for coming on to the podcast I think there's a lot of different ideas and little tidbits for writers to um and everyone to go home and have a think about you know how they can improve their test marks and you know making sure that they're actually training things at home that they're going to have to do in the tests in the competition arena that they're not just riding around willy-nilly that they're actually you know making sure that they're preparing for things in the corners and giving their horse the best possible chance they have to you know gain all the possible marks they can in the arena so thank you very much for coming on the riders circle thank you and i'll see you in the next dressage test well you won't see me no i won't see you but i'll see everyone else <laughs> All right, we look forward to it. Thank you very much for coming. So there you have it, everyone. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode of the Rider's Circle podcast with Robin Targa. Whether you're a seasoned rider or just starting out, the insights shared today by Robin are invaluable and can help pave the way towards achieving your dressage dreams. So from all of us here at the Rider's Circle, we thank you for joining us on this captivating episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more incredible conversations with experts and enthusiasts in the equestrian world. Until next time, keep riding, keep growing and keep striving for excellence in the equestrian world.